1: been it up to you live on the Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast Network. I'm Bruce Nolan, that's Nate Geary, and this is Food for Thought. A show combining two of your three favorite F-words. Those, of course, being football and food. The third one is festivity. I don't know what you were thinking about. Get your mind out of the gutter. I thought it was seasonally appropriate to use the word festivity. Before we get started, a reminder to hit all of the engagement buttons like subscribe rate review. We are not coming to you live. I completely lied to you in the open, but I had to do mm-hmm. it. I almost said serving it up to you reheated on the Ooh. Buffalo rumblings. podcast. That would probably would have been better. Should I start over? I feel like I should start over. This is okay. like
0: a, this is like a TV dinner version of, uh, of our, of our show. Yes. No guest
1: for the yeah. first time on food for thought. No guest. So I feel like I should go back and go serving it up to you reheated on the Buffalo Rump. No, i just kidding. So Merry Christmas Eve to you. Yes. I hope you are spending good time with your family and friends and people you care about. If there aren't people you care about or you don't want to be spending time with the people that you are with, I'm sorry. Nate, how you doing, man?
0: I am well. Uh, I am looking forward to the long weekend, let's put it that way, you know, and, and, and spending some time with my grandparents and, uh, eating delicious food, lots of meals, um, homemade this, uh, my girlfriend and I spent, uh, a two night consecutive period making Christmas cookies night one. We did the, uh, the classic sugar cookie with the frosting decorating, which, you know, is a whole process. And then, uh, night two, um, we did ginger snap, uh, which are, some of my favorite, you know, lots of molasses, um, mm. <clears throat> but they're kind of like the chewy ginger with the granular sugar on the outside, just a really a delicious cookie. Um, but my favorite, and then, uh, also the, the jelly, um, they're almost like the the jelly shortbread cookies with a little bit of jelly in the middle and the thumbprint hole, and then um, <clears throat> some uh, chocolate spiced Italian frosted cookies, uh, which are my favorite because it's got the chocolate chips, it's got the walnuts in it. Um, so, it, but it was like a full two a two evening experience for us. So, uh, we're going to be dropping some of those off uh, around the holiday, and uh, yeah, excited to do it. Excited to, um, you know, eat more desserts. But I I enjoy the the prolonged period of of being hashtag flush with cookies um, because you can do the thing where you eat four and there's still some leftover.
1: You know what? I think leftover cookies are dangerous because Incredibly. I think that when you are eating the cookie for the first time, you are very cognizant of how many you're eating. You're like, oh, I'm just going to have, you know, I'm gonna have a couple cookies and everything. Leftover cookies, they slide through the cracks, Nate. It's like your body doesn't even process them as being calories. You sit down, you look down. It's like, exactly. It's like water. It's like a
0: tall glass of water. The best kind of food,
1: really. (laughs) It's a glass of water. On that note, it's been said that the Buffalo Bills, New England Patriots game that will be played not too long from now is the biggest game of the year. So in that mindset, we should talk about the biggest Meals of the year. A lot of times they're around holidays. So I kind of mo- most like of the this time a, they are. This is a really, really good thing to be discussing right now because it has a parallel with the upcoming football game and it has a parallel with the upcoming holiday. So really, I'm a genius. That's really what this is. This is Never all been of my way to, to say that I'm a genius. So Nate, I want to talk a little bit about the biggest meal of the year. And I'm going to go first to give you some time to think about it. But for me. One of the biggest meals of the year is always my birthday. Mm. And I'll tell you why it's the only time in the year that I don't ever feel really super guilty about asking for something that I just really want, you know, because everything, every other meal of the year, there's always this weird guilt that comes along with, Hey, you know, I, I really want this thing, but I don't think my wife really likes it. So I don't really want to ask for it, but your birthday, you're like, no matter. I get yep. to be selfish today. I get to pick the thing that I like, even if she doesn't like it. So for me, it's one of the biggest meals of the year. So I have a spicy chicken pasta that I really love. It mm-hmm. is a, uh, a reasonable facsimile, uh, kind of a modified version of a pasta. We had a really long time ago at Bucca de Beppo and it's fantastic. My well, wife that... really doesn't like it. Buca de Beppo oh. is the name of the Italian place. Are you familiar with Bucca de Beppo?
0: Are you are that... are you making that up? Is that like is that is that like saying of Garden? You know, like is, is <laughs> okay,
1: that... so okay, so Buca de Beppo has 80, <laughs> has uh, eighty one restaurants in the country. They're headquartered in Orlando, and they're all over the place in the United States. I think there's seventy six of them. In the United States, I'm going to pull up the wiki real quick. I think there's, yeah, there's 76 of them. And there's five of them in the UK. And at one point, we lived within driving distance. Oh, my of God. A a thing. I'm going to say that at one. Oh my I, God, not, yes, it is real. It's absolutely real. And it is a family style Italian restaurant. And I went there. A long time ago, a very, very, very long time ago, and had a pasta dish I really liked, and my wife decided she was going to recreate it and kind of put her own spin on it, and it turned out to be fantastic. But she really doesn't like it as much as I do. So, if I really want that, I got to put a pin in it and wait for my birthday to come around. So, wait a me, second. It's the, the parent it company.
0: The parent company is Planet Hollywood. That's 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 the kind of mainstream Italian you're talking about, Bruce. I'm a little disappointed. That's like. That's really mainstream. It is, you know. I, I sold out is really what it is. Yeah, be sold out. I, I, hey, having, having said that, I have never heard of it. So, well, there you go. Can't it be mainstream, that mainstream. I've never heard of it. So, for me, um,
1: I agree that it's it's a little mainstream and it's not a mom and pop place and things like that. But the point was, I had a specific dish that I really liked. I mean, obviously, everyone can have a dish at a mainstream place they like, you know. Mm-hmm. And I really liked it, and I really like my wife's modified version of it. And so, for me. My birthday is the biggest meal of the year because it allows you to pick your favorite food guilt-free. So for me, that's it. So for you, biggest meal of the year, Nate, go ahead.
0: I'm going to throw a curveball in here because I think it's easy for me to say my birthday because I'm the same way. Um, I, there, there's a couple of meals that you know I sort of wait for, and, and there's a couple of items that I like to wait for. My birthday, crab legs is one of them, um, but I'm not going to go that route. I am going to go Super Bowl. And the reason being is the Super Bowl usually is is almost borderline a potluck, right? Where you've got a lot of friends, you've got a bunch of people bringing certain things. You really sort of get the ideal meal because you don't have to order or get one thing, right? Like you can get a, a whole bunch of main dishes. And that's sort of what I like, you know, like buffet style, but being the, the ambiance, the game is on, you're with friends. It's, you know, if you've ever noticed this about the last couple of Super Bowls, they all kind of look like they're put on like Broadway theater shows, um, all of the extracurricular things. Um, so for me, it has always been the Super Bowl because it just brings you, it brings you a good opportunity to eat like 15 different entrees on one plate, you know, beef on whack and, and, and and everything else that and and you know, probably pizza from two or three different local pizzerias. Like that's that's sort of my favorite meal. So and and it's my favorite day of the year too, the Super Bowl. So
1: you know what? Super Bowl is a good it's a good pick. It's a really good pick. I also feel like there's specific genres of food that if you like them, they're like required during the Super Bowl or during a specific mm-hmm. sports event, you know. So if you like, you know, wings and dips and things like that, then You don't really have to worry about someone deciding, you know what, I feel like we should have halibut for the Super Bowl. No one's going to do that. No No. one's going to say, yeah, we should have halibut halibut for the Super Bowl. Now, even though I will say this right off the bat, you know this, if you want halibut for the Super Bowl, you should darn well have halibut for the Super Bowl. But the point is, no one says it. Not that no one can say it. No one should say it. They just don't. They just don't. Right? If you want halibut for the Super Bowl, man, by all means, don't let me stop you. But if you really like a specific genre of the food that is Super Bowl specific, then that's going to be a big meal of the year for you because no one's going to steer you away from that. So speaking of steering away, the Buffalo Bills managed to pull away after a weird kind of first quarter against the Carolina Panthers. So if the Bills-Panthers game was a food, Nate,
0: Mm -hmm. what kind of food would it be? I spent a lot of time thinking about this and I I rested on dinner salad. <clears throat> and the reason being is I, I I don't think I would ever in my life, short of a really good, large, fresh Caesar um, that might have like grilled chicken on it. Right. Short of that, but like, it's got to be a big or a wedge salad. Those are really like my only entree salads. I'm not a huge dinner salad guy. So I think for me, the big reason it's dinner salad is I probably left a little hungry still. I I got my fill. I got to go to the game. I got to watch it live. Um, And and I got to watch it from the 300 level at the 50 yard line. It was kind of like, it was nostalgia. It was really nice for me. I enjoyed it. I got to drink a really overpriced beer. I got to, you know, have three separate, um, you know, food trips. I ate dinner three times uh, while I was at the stadium, in the stadium. So, um, although... The product was meh, and they the team was meh. And the other team didn't have a field goal kicker. Uh, I, I I I'm not full, but I'm satisfied. This was good tasting. There might have been some grilled chicken on it, but I'm just gonna walk away a little full, wanting a little bit more. And what do I know? It in um, in just a few days, I should get my uh, my fill and some uh, when the Bills face off against the Patriots. So dinner salad is my uh, is my is my choice this week for if. Carolina bills were a meal.
1: That's good. I really like it. I'm going to go with something out of left field. My wife was introduced to Thai food this week. My Ooh. wife had never had Thai food before. I was. Did I, exp- did I
0: see a, um, did I see a pad Thai?
1: Yes, you did see a pad Thai on the Instagram, a pad Thai, a, uh, a mango curry. And specifically Ooh, the thing curry. that I am going to compare the bills, Carolina game to, And that is chicken satay. So chicken satay is grilled chicken that has been skewered and is served with a peanut sauce and a cucumber sauce for dipping. And it's an appetizer that you would get in specific Thai restaurants. Formulaically, it's very similar to a meal that you would get. I mean, it's got chicken. It's got the peanut sauce. It's got the cucumber sauce. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But it's not the same quantity of food. And that's what makes it an appetizer. So it's still football, right? It's still football. It's just not as big of a game as you're going to get the next week. It's the appetizer. So it's similar in construct to what you are going to get next week, or in this case, next course of the meal. It's similar in construct. still chicken, still got the sauces. It's still got all the makings of a Thai dish. However, it's not a main course. It's an appetizer. And that's what it felt like yep. for me. I got done. Dinner salad, I, same way. I ate it, yep. and I was like, yes, good. All right, yes. Next. That is what I'm supposed to get there. It's if, if I walked away from the meal and that was it, I'd be disappointed, but I'd be happy with that specific item. The chicken we, satay we have the same
0: good. justification tonight, and I like yeah. that.
1: So for me, chicken satay. So I was attempting, let me ask you this. So I was attempting to explain Thai food to my wife before sure. we got there. And mm-hmm. I said, it's somewhere of a halfway point between Asian food, like traditional Chinese food that you would get, okay. and Indian food. It's a halfway between those things. You get the curries that you get from Indian food. That's right. You get some of the influences you get from Chinese food traditionally, right? I attempted to explain it's kind of a halfway point. And then I realized she never had Indian food either. So I said, okay, well, Miss Nolan, we're starting with Thai, and then we'll move to Indian, and we'll we'll, yep. we'll
0: we'll get this taken care of. Vietnamese, you know, I'm a big pho guy, um, big big pho guy. So, um, get her onto the pho game because you know she I, she's, I will.
1: There's a good pho place not too far, and I I think that we can we could make a day of it and go get some get some pho.
0: I there is nothing quite like just the standard raw beef pho. Where you cook it in the broth, lots of onion, a couple of bean sprouts here and there. Um, I, I'm not a spice ball guy. I really just like the really deep, rich flavors of the of like the Vietnamese beef broth. That that's really a that that's a winner for me. And the green onions too. Scallions are just you know super good for me. Um, so. But what are you going to say? Because I, I'm a little distraught that she has never had Indian, which is like something that I never actually enjoyed as a kid. Because my I don't believe my my dad likes Indian. I know that he likes Indian because I have frequented there's a right actually near me, about four blocks away from me. Bruce is a place called India Gate, and it's an all you can eat Indian buffet, and it is fantastic. Great lunch special. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really, really, really good. And uh, so I know he'd frequent that, but when, as a kid, like. I don't think my mom was much into it. So I never was really exposed to it until adulthood. And like butter chicken um, and, you know, some some of the different curries that are, like the green curry is another big one, coconut curry. Like there's just a lot of really delicious dishes and the turmeric rice. It finally a culture has decided we are done eating this flavorless white or brown crap. We're going to put some, we're going to put some flavor and some depth of flavor inside of this rice. Uh, so that when, who, who was it? Was it Lewis CK? There, there's someone has a joke. No, I think it's, um, Uh, oh shoot. Uh, regardless of who was, it's like, you know, rice, it's like, if you're so hungry that you want to eat a thousand, Mitch Hedberg, thousands of something, uh, thousands of something. So it's just like, you know, at least, at least the Indian culture was the first to say, you know what, we're, we're done with white rice and brown rice. Like we're, we're going to flavor our rice. And I appreciate that about the, the Indian culture.
1: Okay, so a couple side notes. Number one, Mitch Hedberg is my favorite comic of all time.
0: So I'm glad you you knew that right off the spot. You, I knew that right off. the knew it I was waiting when for I you to stop
1: it. so I get it so I could get a breath because I don't want to talk over you. But yes, Mitch Hedberg is my favorite. Um, to to this day, one of my favorite stand up comedy jokes of all time is Mitch Hedberg talking about escalators, where he says, you know, he all kind of sways back and forth on the stage. You know, rest in peach, by the, peace by the piece by the way, uh, Mitch Hedberg. But he sways back and forth on the stage and says. I saw a sign one time that said, escalator temporarily out of order. And I thought to myself, this is strange. An escalator can never really break. It can only ever become stairs. So we should say <laughs> a sign that says, escalator temporarily stairs. Sorry for your convenience. <laughs> That's my, That's my Mitch Hedberg that right was there. That's
0: good. That yeah. was good. Yeah, it I think I have a
1: strange drawl to it. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, to this day, I know what's coming. I'll watch the YouTube clips and I'll still laugh until I cry. It's just it's great. Also, my wife is still catching up to a lot of different ethnic foods. Um, my wife had very, very rarely even had Mexican food before she met me.
0: I genuine i I tend to think that Mexican can be slightly overrated. uh it just it really depends, especially like fresh tacos. I'm a real big taco guy, but it's gotta be the the fresh corn tortilla. I'm also. I, I think a lot of the traditional Mexican dishes don't get but like i'm I'm a big uh what are the the things that are wrapped in 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 corn husks what, what, tamales. tamales big tamale fan but I, I listen when i when I'm going to a Mexican restaurant, I think oftentimes there's just a lot of filler on the menu. Give me the carne asada. give me the beef give me you know th- that's the thing that transcends all different ethnic foods. Everybody figures out a way to make beef. Well, yeah. And and I appreciate that about beef, the versatility among cultures. That's a really good point. Hey, real question. Quick quick question.
1: Before we get into the main course, the Pro Bowl stuff just dropped. Do you want to talk about Pro Bowl while we're here? Yeah. I mean. Oh, it's just, you know, we're recording this on Wednesday. So you're listening to it live on Friday or Saturday morning, depending on how, what your method is of listening to it. We're recording it on Wednesday evening because I didn't want to record and neither did on he Christmas on Christmas Eve, even though we love you and we want you to have content to consume but on Christmas no. Eve. I'm no. not going to, to take time out of my family time to do it on Christmas Eve. So Bruce for me, put his foot down. I did. I absolutely put my foot down. Um, not really. I, I don't, I, I didn't really put my foot down. If, if, you know, if it needed to be done, it needed to be done. But do you want to talk let's about Pro Bowl stuff? Yeah. Let's talk about it for five minutes. Okay. So uh, here's what we got so far. Deion Dawkins and Stephon Diggs have been selected to the Pro Bowl. Uh, It's Dawkins' first career selection and the second career selection for Diggs. Um, The following Bills were also alternates. Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds are first alternate. Dawson Knox and Tyler Matikiewicz are second alternates. Jordan Poyer and Reed Ferguson are third alternates. Micah Hyde is a fourth alternate. And Mitch Morse and Tyler Bass are fifth alternates. Immediate response. Nate, what do you think? Yep, that's what I thought. If you are watching, you can see his face. If you are listening, he is making a whistling face while he's trying to collect his thoughts, specifically, I think, about Josh Allen. And now he's nodding because I was able to psychically read his mind. Lamar Jackson over Josh Allen, Nate?
0: Lamar Jackson has 18 touchdowns. Hmm. that's all really, i got it's i really, mean it's, it's really amazing if you're a
1: position player yeah i think
0: if you're if it, uh, listen i i try not to make too much it's fan voting i, I mean you know, that, that's this is what you're gonna get it's a popularity wasn't Josh Allen, like number one in fan voting like a week ago i i had thought so i think justin herbert made a late push but lamar jackson has had the worst season of his career it's not so not even close here's a question
1: here's a question for you um did the Ravens fans talk to the Titans fans about what bot they used to purchase votes
0: <laughs> vote gate 2021. I in. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to open up that can of worms. No, listen, <laughs> I, it's, it's the pro bowl. Who cares? My, my goal, my hope. I, I listen. I don't really watch the pro bowl, even if there are bills players in, but my hope is, they're playing the following week, so I, I think I think that's still how it goes, right? The Pro Bowls the week before, yeah. or is okay? Yeah, well, I'm hoping the Bills are playing in the Super Bowl the following week. I, I, you know, I I listen. Josh Allen will end up playing in the game if if they aren't in the Super Bowl. One of those guys, more than likely Patrick Mahomes. If 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 not, Josh Allen will be in the. Uh, we'll be in the Super Bowl. He'll be in the, a- we'll be representing the AFC as the alternate it is what it is. I I'm a little head scratchy on Deion Dawkins. Cause I don't think he's had that great of a season, but I, I think it says something about how his name does carry weight across the league. And I think that's a good sign for, for a young left tackle that is having a down year, but I think there's some, some really legitimate excuses you can make for Deion Dawkins this year with the starting of the year with COVID having COVID again, let's hope that he can bounce back. And there's, there's not a lot of symptoms associated with this tr- sort of run um running with, with COVID, but yeah, for me, I, I I need the rest of the world to wake up with, on Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. I, how they're snubbed from I don't know, dude. Uh, from this Pro Bowl is is really just it's a bad look on 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 the voting process at large because they have by far h- how is the number one scoring defense have zero Pro Bowlers? It just I, I I get it, but but trust me, I get it. I the defensive line, there's nobody I'm pulling from the defensive line. I don't think Edmonds. Is that player? I but Matt Milano. I mean, Matt Milano is one of the best linebackers in the league. Is oh, he yeah. having a Pro Bowl season though? I don't know. I, I I guess, I guess that's a matter of opinion, and I guess people don't share the opinion that he's had a Pro Bowl season. I'm not here to, to nitpick at that, but the safeties, yeah, I, and the safeties absolutely should have been starters. Should have been the first two um, in, in my opinion. That, that that's that's just a big whiff.
1: For me, the thing that irritates me most about Pro Bowl voting is how it absolutely influences things that are contractual. Like it matters yes. from a contract standpoint, but if yet we're people... going to leave something. We're going to leave something that is so important from a monetary standpoint into a situation that is so unbelievably weird. And every single year, there's somebody getting up in arms about how ridiculous this is, and everyone who everyone's like, "What the heck is that?" But yet. It affects people's contracts. They have mm-hmm. they have escalator bonuses built in for asinine. that. It affects people on their rookie contracts as far as options go. Like, are you kidding me? We're going to leave something that is contractually important to such an asinine process that the Pro Bowl goes through? Nah, 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 fam. I'm I'm not interested in that. And Kevin Byard, like,
0: okay, Kevin Bayard? I... um, okay. okay, I mean. It... He's a good player, but he has not been better than Jordan Porter or Micah Hyde this year.
1: All right. We spent five minutes. We did it.
0: That's it. Move on. It's now time. we're
1: going to talk about the Patriots.
0: It's not weird. dinosaur embryos because I I know that was something that no, no. Okay. No, go ahead.
1: I mean, yes. Dinosaur embryos because, you know, life uh, finds a way, you know, but it's, <laughs> you know, but the Bills need to find a way. Yes, against the New England Patriots. How about that for a transition? The Bills have to win. Yes, the Bills have to win. The Bills, Bills have, have to, win. to win. As as Jeremy White says from WGR, the Bills have to win. The so Bills have to win. So what are you looking for schematically that will help you ascertain whether or not you think the Bills are going to win?
0: So this idea, listen, you know, they, they're coming off a game where um, Devin Singletary had 22 carries, which was the most since 2017, I think. or two, Yeah, 2017, when it was LaShawn McCoy. Uh, they had i think moderate success doing it 22 carries 89 yards i think is what devin Singletary finished the game with he had that nice touchdown run and there was a clear balance to the to the to the to the game plan i think any not any any is a strong word um i don't know what is necessary bruce for an allotment of touches and i'm not sure that you could reduce something as nuanced as as balance or the term balance in football is it's I think there's layers to it. I think it's, it's more than face value. So it's hard for me to say you need X amount and it's not an algorithm. It's not, it's not going to spit out the same number at the other end. So there's no true number, but every single time you take the ball out of Josh Allen's hands, Bill Belichick makes a little check mark on his page. Just another notch on his belt. Every time You do that. And and listen, it took the Bills really 22 22 passing attempts in that wind game. Eight came on the final drive of the 30 attempts that he had. There was no urgency, Bruce, whatsoever in that first quarter to score points. And it's one of the reasons that they were never able to get the Patriots out of the run-first mindset that they had. Uh, Listen, Bruce, uh, McDaniel and and, and Bill Belch are going to come in this game, and you know what they're going to want to do? They're going to run the football again mm. and the easiest way because they know that a there's 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 two positive things to them finding success in the run game and doing it at a, at a large volume a they they believe that keeps the ball away from Josh Allen and takes the ball out of his hands right because that is primary goal number one how can you reduce the amount of times Josh Allen has the opportunity to beat your defense One way is for the Bills to turn around and hand it to Devin Singletary. The other way is to turn around and hand it off to Damon Harris if he ends up healthy and and ends up playing in this game and Ramon Stevenson and and Brandon Bollett. That is how you take the ball out of the hands of Josh Allen. And the other one in this game, at least for me, and wanting to run the ball is it's the weakness of a good defense. Now, they're still a middle-of-the-pack run defense. And I know that they got a reputation right now of being soft. So that's what they're, and they're going to be a little ticked off. They, they got, they got worked physically. I thought by the colt a physical football team. And I think there's going to be a sense of wanting to impose that will again on this bill's defense, particularly on the defensive line with guys like Ed Oliver, guys like um, you know, Harrison Phillips, who are undersized for their position. So I think there's going to be a sense of wanting to dominate again and and play physical and 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 dominate the line of scrimmage. And, and I think that probably as plans, Bruce, to score more than 14 points, I think they're going to need to do that. But I, I, I just think if you're the Bills offensively, you need to throw the football and and you need to score and you need to have an urgency out of the gate to score, especially against a team like this. I think, listen, I look back to last year, Bruce, and, and the, the difference between... You know, the first matchup where they almost lose and, you know, there are there are Justin Zimmer foot fumble, forced fumble on Cam Newton away from pissing that game away. And then the second matchup, it was the it was the Stefan Diggs game. There was a dedication to throwing the ball, not just throwing the ball, but throwing it early, getting a lead and and putting that game away by throwing. And that's the thing about the Bills they're so Bruce equipped to play with the lead, much like the last couple of years, but in the inverse way. The last few years, the Ravens have been really good with the lead because that's the way that their offense is designed. The Bills' offense isn't designed to necessarily play with a lead, but the last two years, Sean McDermott and Brian Dable, I thought, have done a good job. When they get up, there isn't a change in mindset. There isn't that let's go back into our shell, let's run prevent defense, and let's run the ball three and out and punt. Right, that that they tend to keep their foot on the gas that's why they have more 14 point victories every single one of their victories this year is by 15 or more points they do a good job staying on it and moving away from it the thing is they have not this year been good or efficient in those tight game situations where they're playing from a deficit so i think for this in in, in this game the easiest way to get the the patriots into the things you want them to be and to get away from the things that they want to try to control which is Josh Allen they they're going to Bruce Put the games in the put this game in the hands of the Bills coaching staff, much like they did three weeks ago or however long they played. And the question's going to be is who will blink first? Whose team will be more disciplined in this game? So scheme wise, I think it's really simple, Bruce. Throw to win and throw to run away with this game. I, I It has to feel this game to me, Bruce, has to feel like that second match of the thirty-eight to nine. I, I think that would repair a lot of people's ailings. Um, and worries about this Buffalo Bills football team. You beat them 38-9, to I think you're going to silence a lot of people about some sort of soft football team.
1: It's such a strange game coming up because it feels like either way you go, there's a realistic justification as to why you went there. The New England Patriots have not been good against the run this year, and they have not been good against the run in the last couple of weeks. And so if the Bills came out with a little bit more balance, I would totally understand it especially if Spencer Brown is at left tackle again. If Spencer Brown's at left tackle and you want to give Devin Singletary 22 carries, like regardless of the result, I would understand that process. I would. I would get the process. If they came out and threw the ball 52 times, I would understand that process too. It's very strange for me because I'm coming in without a strong preference when it comes to things like this because we might run into a scenario where... If Spencer Brown is your left tackle and he's lining up across from Matthew Judon, do you want to throw it 52 times or is he going to constantly get held all the time? He's going to get four holding penalties and get Josh hit four times. Like, okay, under normal circumstances, sure, yeah, if Deion Dawkins is ready to play, then that changes things. But there could be a scenario where the hands that you're dealt – coming into the New England Patriots game, make it completely reasonable where you would run the ball 23 times on the ground with running backs, which is not a situation I usually find myself in. I don't usually find myself in a situation where I would deem it to be acceptable because as a general rule, my belief is this, pass first team unless you have extenuating circumstances, period, right? But we could run into a scenario based on the offensive line where there are extenuating circumstances. You know, there's been games where the weather has been extenuating circumstances. And so there's been games where we don't have the appropriate quarterback, right? If you have Matt Barkley, then that's extenuating circumstances as you, as you, why you not maybe come out and throw the ball 45 times. So for me, this is a very strange game because I can see multiple processes where you're coming into the game going, okay, we're going to play it this way. We're going to play it this way, all of which look perfectly reasonable to me because I don't know what's going to happen. So the thing I'm looking for is – I'm looking for what this team will do when faced with multiple outcomes that all seem to be okay. If the process that you want to choose is run the ball 22 times, and that seems reasonable, there's a logical path to that. And there's a different logical path to throw the ball 45 times and barely touch it with the running backs. There's a logical path to that too. When approached with both, I want to see what this team does. That's what I'm looking for schematically. Against the Patriots. Because-
0: listen, I, I listen, Bruce, I think the, 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 the shift over the last two weeks to outside zone with Devin Singletary as the workhorse, it it's yielded better results than the turnaround ISO dives up the middle that were, they were basically running into brick walls that they don't have the running backs that can bounce that out and, and really make it a weapon for, for them and, and be able to have a guy that can, you know, take that first contact in the middle and bounce it to the outside. They don't have that speed unless they want to play Matt Brita and they have not shown that. So, you know, listen, I I think this is a really good opportunity for me as well to say that I am en route to one of the greatest bet comebacks of all time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll level with you. If there's a chance you could pull it off. I remember all in these one, all in these literally one game active from Zach Moss and I'm in, I'm locked in the best you can do is push at that point.
0: Yeah, no, I I but pushes pushes a win for me as well. I see here's the thing. Here's the thing, Bruce. I'm the one that can no longer lose because no matter what, because I'm he's not dressing this week. That's just it's not happening. Um, so for me, feeling real good in the neighborhood. I am a little worried though that COVID is gonna COVID's gonna put a, a kink. Listen, COVID might uh, is 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 wreaking havoc on our fantasy league right now. Poor Del Reed, Holy poor Joe, poor Joe poor Joe DiBiase. So yeah, like, um, and by the way, there's a very, very good chance, Bruce, that next week when we record, we may be facing off in our fantasy football championship.
1: That's a possibility. That's yeah, Would that not make for a heck of a food that
0: football really episode? That really would. We may have to run like a live watch party on Monday night. Oh my gosh, that'd be hilarious. Where we just absolutely well there'd have to be something at stake we'd have to have like a couple of players in there um to to make it worthwhile but listen we're we i've got thoughts i've got thoughts about that
1: well you know me i'm not a very good trash talker that's my issue is i don't do well trash talking because i'm one of those people who stays very very silent until after i've won and then after i've won then i feel like it's not classy to rub it in so i just never end up doing it (laughs) like i have the i have the like the window where i could do it and i just decide not to so i just i just I'm just not a very gifted. I think I, I'm intelligent enough to be a good trash talker. I don't know if you saw my interaction with Del Reed before when he sent a gif and said, I'm not afraid of you. And I use the Yoda gif from yeah. star Wars going, you will be.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. You I, listen, you've, I've, I don't think, I don't think you've ever claimed to be a good one. So I think that's the key here is you've never claimed to be a good trash talker. Cause no. you're not. Yeah. You're I, no, not. I, I'm not, no. but I mean, scoreboard. I mean,
1: Let's be honest. So I won the championship last year. I'm in the semifinals this year already.
0: Like, you know, I I think. and really what should have happened is they should have, they should have killed you before you, you blossomed. You were so close to being finished off and you, you fought tooth and nail to get yourself back into a playoff position. And now,
1: you know, could be on the fast track. We'll see. I was three and six and won six games in a row. You can't keep me down. You were, vo- you were rooting. You were trying in the fantasy football yes, chat was. to get everyone to beat me because you wanted to keep me out of the playoffs.
0: Yes, I. That, that's a fact. I, I
1: just want you all to know, Nate literally drugged the bus over top of me.
0: Listen, there's a very real possibility I could be starting Jake Fromm in a game against you, so be, re- be ready for that. <laughs> okay,
1: so real quick, uh, Devin Singletary, funny yes. story. You've been talking about outside zone and things like that. Yes. Did you know that over the last three games – the Buffalo Bills have been almost 50 50 zone gap, which is way more gap than historically they've been running. Like historically, it's always been like three to two ratio, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes two to one ratio as far as zone to gap. But over the last three games, a lot more gap runs. I just thought that was interesting.
0: It's I of- think a lot. I think part of that going. too is personnel up front. And, I mean, at least in my opinion, I think Cody Ford and by yeah. the way, Cody Ford has been playing better.
1: You know, oh, level with you. he wasn't on my list of people to watch this week. So I didn't even notice.
0: Don't, don't put him on there, but you know, I, I'm not, I'm not sitting here telling you he's playing well. I just, he, he hasn't been the tire fire that he was earlier on this season, which is listen, if they can have a reclamation project and have him be a, replacement level good guy off the bench next year he's cheap you know he's a second pick he'll be cheap next year so um no but yeah it's it, it there has been a shift bruce uh personnel and scheme to try to rejuvenate this run game and listen you know uh devin secretary's 11th in yards per carry average and josh allen's number one in the league this is a this is a high yielding yard per carry offense i have no it just the eye test it fails miserably but i'm down with the, it. the analytics it, it it's it's weird.
1: Okay, we have a mailbag question. To Hell yeah, to. we do. So Andy sent us a message and said, hey, y'all, first off, any email that starts with y'all, I'm in. I'm already yep, engaged. In. I'm ready. There was a discussion on last week's pod about whether the front office or player personnel were more to blame for the lack of noteworthy production from the defensive line in spite of significant investment made therein. Also therein, 10-point word. Real good. My working theory is that this is more on the front office and I'll tell you why. So he goes on to elaborate. He says, I feel like most people simply think that player development is about getting a player as close to their ceiling as possible. While this is true, I believe that player development is more so about raising a player's floor as much as possible. Mm -hmm. You can get a player as close to their ceiling as you want, but if the floor never happens, you're never going to get consistency from the production from that player. And I think at this point, we would all settle for some consistently average performance from this unit. Thus, as a front office, you need to be aware of, number one, where a player's level of play is currently at. Number two, where their floor is. Number three, how much the floor can be elevated with ideal development. Four, where their ceiling is. And five, how close you can get them to that ceiling with ideal development. When you whiff on both a player's floor and the degree to which that floor can be raised, The other factors are worth absolutely bupkus. Take the Bills' recent draft picks. When you draft a toolsy freak athlete who maybe needs to undergo some sort of body composition, you need a very, very solid understanding of where the player's floor is and how much it can be elevated under ideal conditions. If you don't absolutely nail these calculations, they may show up to camp with the floor significantly lower than you anticipated and could therefore spend the majority of the season as either a healthy scratch or a consistently below-average depth player. Gee, I wonder who he's talking about, Nate. I just, I, I don't know. It just feels, I don't know. Just AJ <coughs> and Vanessa. Okay. <clears throat> when you apply this theory to free agency and then extrapolate it across an entire personnel group, well, you end up with the Bills' defensive line. I hated putting this theory to paper, but I love the pod. Hashtag food takes forever. So.
0: Hell yeah, brother.
1: When we are talking about Bill's defensive line, Mm -hmm. I think the interesting thing to talk about here is that I think you draft first round picks for ceiling, and I do think you trust your coaches to be able to hit them more often. I think
0: really you you do not draft first round picks for floor. No, that's how you get in trouble.
1: Yeah, yeah, you draft them. I mean, you know who's the first round pick drafted for floor? Cleveland Farrell. Oh,
0: yeah, Cleveland.
1: I I use Cleveland Farrell, right? Cleveland Farrell. I don't, nobody thought. Nobody thought Cleveland Farrell was going to be a top 10 pass rusher in the league. Nobody. Mm -hmm. I'm not even entirely sure the Raiders thought he was. But they drafted him top five anyway. So for me, you draft first round picks for ceiling. But your floor is really determined by how often you hit your ceiling. That's really what floor is. Floor is simply how often you hit your ceiling. If you hit your ceiling every other game, that's a really high floor. Mm -hmm. If you hit your ceiling once every nine games, that's a really low floor. So for me, I think it also depends on where you draft the player. And I think that this is a completely reasonable theory to outline based on the way the Buffalo Bills have drafted. Because Ed Oliver, A.G. Epinesa, Boogie Basham, these are high picks. These are first, second round picks, right? You draft them with the idea that they can have high ceilings. Like, that's the point. You're taking a swing on with players like ed oliver who's a freak athlete that's right with aj epinesa i think that the question was going to be when he came in one of the questions was what are you going to do with him are you going to bulk him up and play him inside are you going to slim him down and play on the the bills said okay we're going to slim him down and make him an edge rusher right well he got really th- slim like really got, slim way too slim so now they're trying to adjust back they went uh, upgrade, upgrade, oh crap, go back, oh crap, go back. It was that meme with the pressing of the buttons. Yes. One of the things that was interesting when the Buffalo Bills drafted Gregory Rousseau is I had a very similar thought process about Gregory Rousseau that I had about A.J. Finessa, which was, is he a five tech? Is he, I, I use this phrase all the time. Is he Eric Armstead? Yeah.
0: Name? Is he, you, he Eric you, you Armstead? You mentioned this literally last week. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So for me, I had the same thing. Now, the The Buffalo Bills clearly didn't mind what happened with AJ Vanessa because they essentially went and did the exact same thing the next year with Gregory Rousseau. They took somebody who people thought might be a tweener. They took him and said, no, 250 pounds is fine. We'll put you on the edge. And what they've gotten from Gregory Rousseau, and I talked about this in the Bruce Exclusive this week, was Gregory Rousseau right now is a really good run defender. Like right now, he's not developing yeah. into a really good edge defender. He is a really good edge defender from run. But if if that's what you get, he's still not what you want. And that's a, that's a high no. floor. That's high mm-hmm. floor. That's what you're talking about. High floor. I think Gregory Rousseau right now is a high floor player because right now he's a very good elite level elites, maybe a strong term.
0: He's I would say very, it's strong. Yeah, he's, he's good.
1: Very good from an edge run defender standpoint. He's very good. If he never gets any better a pass rusher, I would consider it to be a high floor investment.
0: But it's Shaq Lawson. Was, we still we still wouldn't be okay with that. No, we weren't okay with Shaq Lawson. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were, we just wanted more, right? And and that's where you'll always be, and that's where you are right now with the defensive line at large. And I think Brandon Bean probably relied too much in free agency on you know familiarity. You know, Star Latulale was an overpayment. Trent Murphy was an overpayment and a very little ROI on this defensive line. You know, Mario Addison was probably a year past the time that you pay a Mario Addison and bring him in right coming off the two consecutive double digit sack seasons in um, in Carolina. You know, you don't pay for that on the other side of 30, but they did. And they paid him on a three year deal. And, you know, keeping Jerry Hughes around is fine because a there's symbolism there. It's symbolic. You, you, you like Jerry Hughes. He's sort of like an original um, OG. He's going to be on the, the wall of fame. You let him, you let him retire here, but you, you surround him with some, some different types of players. And I, and I just think that Addison and, 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 you know, Butler and, 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 and Star, the, these guys that, that have come in and, and listen for everything that I'd like at Oliver to be, he just hasn't been. And I think a lot of that has to do with, he need desperately needs an elite one tech, somebody that can eat some blocks and the Keem Hicks who I've just been pounding the table for. Oh, and I man. really hope this team goes after in the off season because uh, he is available. He will be afraid to, he's old and I know, but give Ed Oliver one season, uh, try to evaluate Ed Oliver with a legitimate one tech next to him, and I and I think you're gonna see, you're gonna like what you see. But teams right now take advantage of how aggressive he is because they don't really need to double team the one technique. They'll let him fly upfield and trap behind him, and and that's what teams have been doing really well. And they use his ability. Ed Oliver gets off the ball quicker than a lot of defensive tackles do. He's got that Jerry Hughes, tw- you know, quick twitch to him, but it gets used against him because you don't want necessarily. I, I think Eric Turner said. You know, last week he was like, you know, on this play, Ed Oliver's flying about 100 miles per hour. And I'm like, I I think I tweeted back something along the lines of, yeah, you know, I think I'd ideally like Ed playing at around 80, 85 miles per hour. Because at 100, (laughs) he just is, he's a little out of control and, and he's, he's, he's hydroplaning and there's no stopping those wheels. You know, he's got NASCAR tires. But when he, when he plays a little bit more controlled game um, and technique sound, and, and I think he gets in better positions to make plays. But, You know, overall, this defensive line leaves a lot to be desired. How they try to retool it is is going to be interesting to me, Bruce, because I think they need one ear to retooling the defensive line fundamentally, but they also have to retool the offensive line on the interior. And how you do both in one offseason is going to be tough because I've seen teams do one. You know, I've seen Kansas City completely remake that offensive line and have have great success doing it. But trying to do both is really hard to do in one offseason.
1: I agree. But we're going to wrap it up. Winners and losers from this week in the NFL. And, you know, you and I are not allowed to call ourselves the winners, even though we advanced to the next we round can never. of our fantasy stuff. I, I am a winner. I'm married to Mrs. Nolan, I'm, so that is true. I'm winner true. every week for life. But biggest winner, biggest loser this week in the NFL. Nate, what you got?
0: Uh, biggest winner is uh, Justin Fields because it's just incredibly obvious that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are uh, are going to be going to get kicked to the curb here pretty soon, and you know he's really going to benefit from having competency in the front office, a team that they can be built around him. And I- I'm excited for Justin Fields; he's the biggest winner because it's very clear that those guys are in over their heads in Chicago.
1: Biggest winner, Jerry Judy. All right, you ready for this? You're thinking to yourself. Bruce, Jerry, Judy had zero catches.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yes, he had zero catches. And all of a sudden, the narrative has started. The narrative that is percolating about the Broncos and the fact that they need to make a drastic swing at the quarterback position this offseason is starting to percolate a little bit more because of what happened with Jerry, Judy. Everyone knows Jerry, Judy is good. Literally, everyone knows he's good. And the fact that he had zero catches probably means he took one on the chin this week so he could get something later. Because I think that there is going to be a very significant move. I think it's like an Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson level move coming hmm. this offseason from the Denver oh, Broncos. So,
0: yes. Mm-hmm. I thought I, you I, were talking about in your fantasy playoff matchup next week, but I, this I buy way more. Yeah. I buy this one way more.
1: Yeah. It, this offseason. I think that one of the things that's going to be happening is we have three really good receivers, two of which just signed a contract extension, one of which was a first round pick who has really flashed and nobody to feed them the ball. And Teddy Bridgewater's not going to get it done. And I don't know if you know this, or not Drew Locke is not going to get it done either. No, he's so not. So for the Denver Broncos, I think they're going to be in on literally every quarterback
0: and they should. next year.
1: And I think they're going to be potentially maybe even a little bit desperate to get the right quarterback. And so for Jerry Judy, it's okay man. You were held catchless. It's it's clearly not because you lack talent. You are fantastic. But it may have been the final straw that was necessary to break the camels back to get you the quarterback that you need a long term. Mm. Biggest loser, Nate. Yes. Biggest loser this week.
0: Uh, oh, there's a lot of candidates. I, I think I'm I, I wanted to be I wanted to be involving the Cleveland game that the the Cleveland Raiders game that we were forced to watch. And by forced, we literally were because it's five o'clock, it's on a Monday. <laughs>
1: what else do you That is a, <laughs> it's
0: appointment television. So um the biggest loser is us, America. We had to watch that terrible football game. We had to watch Derek Carr just arm punt away that game every opportunity. We had to watch. Um, that, that dude, the quarterback, I don't even, I don't even know his name. I do know his name. His name's Nick Mullins, but I I wanted to pretend I didn't know his name. All in all, the Browns are really big losers too, because they talk about a team that disappointed this year and, and you basically had the worst case scenario play out, which is you, you feel like you're going to have a bad taste in your mouth at the end of the year because they didn't, what they're going to be able to sell themselves. And it probably is true is they probably didn't get the best shake, the best look at Baker Mayfield this year that they could have. And you just, whenever you're making decisions about franchise quarterbacks, Bruce, you just want to be certain. And when you're the Browns, you almost have to be certain because the margin for error in that fan base and that, and that organization right now, they got to get this right. They got to get the quarterback right. And it's hard to move on from a number one overall pick, but I like, this season with the injuries and the lack of success. I'm just, they've run out of excuses there. And I feel like they, they are going to feel that they haven't got the best look possible. The fairest look at Baker Mayfield. And, and and I think that's going to hold them back
1: for me. Biggest loser possible this week. And I have to use it this week because I don't have the chance to use this very often. It's Tom Brady. Tom Brady loses Godwin. He loses Fournette. Mm. He loses Evans, though it looks like Evans he's a will be back at some point. And he has some fairly unflattering things show up in regards to the way that he handled himself when things yes. started to get bad. Mm-hmm. And I think that the mystique and the aura of Tom Brady as this hyper competitor, and we excuse everything because of that, kind of grew a little bit due to the man in the arena miniseries on ESPN+. Mm-hmm. Plus. For me this week, I don't know if there's a player who took a bigger hit this week on the field or from a aura standpoint than Tom Brady. And I don't get a chance to put someone who is the greatest quarterback of all time, who has won a ton of rings and is married to a supermodel in my biggest loser category very much. Screw. So up. when I have an opportunity, You're I'm going to do it. And that's what I'm doing.
0: Good for you, Bruce. You know what? Good, yeah, for, you, good for me. Integrity. Ladies and good
1: for you. And good for Integrity us. looks good on you. And Merry Christmas Indeed. to all and to all a good night. So, Nate, when you wake up tomorrow, yes, or today, whatever day you're listening to this, for Christmas, what are you hoping to get under the tree this year?
0: execution uh you know mm. i just want to see uh the offense execute thank I you so it. much
1: for saying that
0: <laughs> yes yes i tossed i tossed the
1: softball and i said come on nick come on nick come on Nate. Got you, boss. and you just nailed it
0: i got you boss chemistry, uh, but it, it it's chemistry that's it chemi- it, 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 exactly this but in, in 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 reality um what i am hoping to find underneath my tree um this year it, Something that is going to allow me to eat food more efficiently. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that looks like. I don't even. I don't even have an idea in my head. So I'm an just IV into- is what you're saying. You want an IV? <laughs> I would take one. Maybe maybe my girlfriend will 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 become a uh, a, a registered nurse so that she can you know give me. She could just straight strain line me all of my food so I don't have to worry about chewing. It's a lot of work.
1: For me, I am hoping to get socks. I love socks. Mm. Big sock guy over here.
0: I could use more socks.
1: Love a good new pair of socks. There's something very special about a new pair of socks. And I will never, ever turn down some socks. Adulthood, man. Absolutely. Hashtag adulting. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. Thanks for swinging by. Thanks for spending your Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or day after Christmas or whatever day you're spending with us here at Food for Thought. We hope you had a good time. We hope you're full. And we hope you didn't leave hungry.